Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Virulent News, Toxic Habits and Attitudes. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've tuned in before, welcome back. In this podcast, we examine all the things that we allow to interfere with our pursuit of our dreams and the indulgence in our passions. Procrastination, fear of trying something new, the belief that we may not be good enough, ridicule from our families, friends, and even strangers, and all the other toxic habits and attitudes that get in our way. And we all have things that we must do on a day-to-day basis, but we often forget that we can make room in our lives for the things that we enjoy. Your life is more than just a collection of your responsibilities, and in this podcast, we strive to remind you of that. My guest this week is a young woman who was my very first guest on The Virulent News. Uh, She's an author, a blogger who speaks regularly on the issues that Generation Z employees experience in the workforce, as well as labor trends. And she is an advocate for mental health and those who experience the stigma associated with autism. Welcome back to the show, Madison Sasser. Hi, I'm so honored. As I am I. I was your first guest. Yes, yes, you were. So what have you been doing in the uh, in the year or so since we last spoke? So much. Um, I was listening to Viola Davis's audiobook. I don't know if you've heard it. No, I haven't. Okay, and it's really powerful. She has this quote in the audiobook mm-hmm. where she says, your career... Like your life is happening as your career is happening. And that's what I've been running into. Please explain. So when you're 24, you have a lot of expenses. You have to furnish your space. You have, um, you're not making as much money in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you're trying to be a writer. Oh yes. Um, And then you're also paying for career development, classes, books, teaching, therapy. You should be in therapy. Um, And then so you're dealing with all of these different barriers Mm -hmm. while you're trying to push forward. And what are you discovering in that uh, that experience of, of yours? So I'm actually in the process of writing an article about it. But the article is kind of titled, Why Am I in Such a Rush? Because I'm only 24. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have it all figured out yet. Oh, no. (laughs) You absolutely (laughs) do not. (laughs) So, and I've been putting so much pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of it is because I want to have a family someday. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to plan, like, you know, when can you take time off in your career when can you afford it when can you take like a couple of years to raise a family mm-hmm. and it's momentum that you never get back so yeah. it's something that I've been thinking about and it's also this idea of when I'm not young and attractive and punchy will people still like me so I realized that a career is a lifelong pursuit you know yeah. it's not it starts ends when you're 30 it's something that you have for the rest of your life 
So it takes the rest of your life to get where you want to be. It can. So I also realized that nobody is really where they want to be and paid really well for what they love to do. Some people are, but when you're in, but when you're creative and so many people I know have day jobs Mm -hmm. and just do their creative work because they love to do it. Absolutely. Yes. And I can, I can tell you from firsthand experience, many times where you end up is nowhere near where you had planned from, from early on. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. It's just that as life goes forward, things change, uh, opportunities change, uh, reactions to things that happen in your life change. Uh, it's very rarely the way you drew it up when, when you were in high school and someone asked you what you wanted to do when you grew up. Uh, I'm 60. I'm still working on it. But, <laughs> and I've uh, learned that too. Yeah, but along the way, uh, as, as, uh, you were, as you were saying there, you have all of these things that you have to do and you do them as you know as best you can with the opportunities that are presented to you but you also find a way and find the time to do the things that you've always wanted to do because that's your passion which is exactly. right and I, right which is right in, in line with the whole purpose of this show which is what makes you an absolutely wonderful guest to have on well, well i'm happy I I was reading some of your um, some of your posts on uh, X, which used to be called Twitter. In this post, uh, you were speaking of you being a waitress. Sometimes you're so busy with, you know, with doing your, your job that when an idea strikes, you have to get it down on something just so you don't forget it. So a lot of your receipts will have notes on them yes they do yeah which is uh that's an old trick that uh, a lot of us a lot of us writers have used for for many years you know you jot it down on whatever you have and you keep going with your work and then as soon as you have the time you take it and transpose it and you and you continue to move on so you're adjusting to everything that uh that's going on there pretty well i would say at least from what I can see along the lines of your writing. What are you, uh, what are you doing now? Yeah. So I decided that I wanted to go to graduate school. Mm -hmm. So I decided to get an MFA in creative writing. Okay. Um, because I realized that they were funded. So they give you a housing allowance. They pay your tuition. And most importantly, they give you health care. Absolutely, most but, importantly. <laughs> but I realized that my work really isn't there at the cycle. So I'm working on getting an application for next year. Mm-hmm. And since I'm having to write different stories for my application, I'm working on creating a short story collection. Because Ernest Hemingway released a collection in our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back and reading it, you can tell he was still very much a baby writer. And it's nice to see that these great writers we admire, they started somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm kind of walking in his footsteps, writing a collection that I plan to self-publish. Okay. And that way it gets my writing out there and it gives me something to kind of build on. Okay, good, good. I've, as I mentioned during our first conversation a, a year ago, uh, I've read some of your work that you post online. And I have to tell you, it, once again, it was very good. I really enjoy uh, your writing. Thank you. And whatever you can do to continue that, I'm all for it. I support it. I'm, I, I hope that you will continue. Uh, there will be things that, as you point out, uh, obstacles that you will face. And I hope that you're able to continue over, around, and through those obstacles because you clearly have a love for writing and it would be a true shame uh, if something came along and either diluted that uh, that love you have for it or rendered you incapable due to time constraints or what have you uh, incapable of continuing with that so I, I hope that you're able to continue I think that uh, I think that's something that you've proven you would love to do. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that we're on the same page. <laughs> it would be such a loss. It would. It would. Um, so, but that's kind of what makes my writing relatable. Is I just started talking about it because I'm like, surely not everyone's not experienced. Like, if everyone is experiencing this, they probably would have changed it by now. But I realized that publishing as an industry is being decentralized. Mm -hmm. So what used to be a very straightforward process, people are now starting to do on their own, like I am. And big media conglomerates are even having their reporters go out on their own and start their own podcasts and websites and blogs. So really, it's just kind of the way the industry is trending. And we're all trying to figure it out. Uh, you're going to be uh, self-publishing this uh, this collection of your short stories? Right now, that's the plan. Okay. Do you have a working title in mind already? I don't. I have a few stories that I know are going to be in the collection. Okay. But I just don't know what's going to tie them all together. What's your uh, your your timeline for that as it stands right now? So I set a goal every year. For like, and New Year's is my favorite holiday. It's a great time to kind of reassess your life mm -hmm. and set priorities. So I think it was two years ago. My goal for the year was I wanted 10,000 Twitter or X followers. And I wanted 1,000 blog followers on Medium. Mm -hmm. And then I ended the year with 15,000 Twitter followers. Okay. And I think 1,500 medium falls. So the next year, I decided I was going to read 100 books because uh, reading is a big part of my writing process. Okay. And right now, I think I'm at 77. Uh -huh. okay. So next year, mm -hmm. I want to have a collection that's ready to publish. That's kind of my goal for the year. Well, I'm confident that you will be able to do it because you seem to be meeting your goals as you as you make them, as you set them. 
So again, best of everything to you in that uh, in that regard. Let me ask you. you. No, go ahead. I was going to say it's important for me to set achievable goals. Something that pushes you, Mm -hmm. but it's something that you know you can accomplish. Sure, realistic goals. Yeah, realistic goals. And doing that has kind of given me a confidence that I keep the promises I make to myself. I like that. Okay, keeping the promises you make to yourself. Listen, I wanted to uh, to ask you about some of the trends that that you're seeing in terms of uh, Gen Z employees. We spoke about that the last time you were on the show. Uh, I wanted to ask if you see any changes uh, that have taken place in the last year. That's a good question. Um, I think I have, but I see them trending both positive and negative. Okay. Um. I think it really just depends on which trend it is specifically. Um, But one of the biggest trends I see is the cost of living trend. And it's going to impact our careers. Because if we can't afford to live in the vicinity of our job, Mm -hmm. or if we are so maxed out trying to afford living in the vicinity of our job, that it kind of corrects that energy we have towards our career. And that's something I haven't seen change. I've seen it get worse. All right. Now, right now, you're uh, you're in the Tampa area. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, do you think that that's something that's mainly centralized just there in your area, or do you do you think that that's a national trend? It's a national trend. Um, the big reason it's hitting Tampa so hard is because people are coming from other affordable states like California or New York, and they're seeing that Florida has a cheaper rent than they're used to. Mm-hmm. So they're driving up our prices. Oh, okay. <laughs> you guys got it too good down there, is that it? Sounds like it. Yeah. I would walk through my apartment and all of the license plates would be out of state. Wow, okay. So everything seems to be pretty much booming there at least relative to some of the more expensive states in, in the country. I mean, I can't speak for them, but from everything I've heard, they're still very unaffordable and they're making us more unaffordable. Because they're increasing demand. Yes. Okay. And Florida as a state doesn't have a lot of affordable housing. A lot of it is luxury condos and multifamily houses. Mm-hmm. So we don't have the kind of supply support that kind of demand okay all right i understand uh that's one of the i guess that would be one of the downsides that you were uh that you were mentioning what uh is there a positive trend that you've noticed i know it's a good question (laughs) um i think there are different things we're definitely more aware of mental health Mm -hmm. um we're giving younger employees more opportunities but a lot of those opportunities are coming without pay. Wait, I'm sorry. So, you know, some of the op- more of the opportunities that Gen Z employees have coming their way are are unpaid opportunities. At least in my experience. Mm-hmm. Because you know, when you have the kind of skills that I have, you know, I can write. I can kind of like be a personality. Mm-hmm. I can work on social media marketing, and a lot of the people that approached me 
are building their own companies. And because they're still in the building stages, they don't have the kind of money to pay me. So it's good in a way because it gives me an opportunity to build my own role and kind of like put my own stamp on it. And if the company grows, my role gets bigger. Okay. But the downside is a lot of that legwork isn't paid. Right. So I've had to turn down a lot of opportunities. Well, sure. Because it doesn't meet my needs right now. Sure. Because as, no, as, much as, you, as much as you may enjoy whatever it is that they're doing, you still have, uh, you've got your own bills and whatever that you've got to take care of. And that's that balancing act that you were speaking of before, you know, ba- balancing responsibility and passion. Exactly. So it'd be great if there were more of these opportunities that came with a pay. Okay. But one trend that I'm watching, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily related to Gen Z, but it's more related to how people are paid. Okay. Um, so in the service industry, usually you get your tips. You usually get those the night of. And then you get a bi-weekly paycheck. Okay. Um, but I worked with a company that paid you every week instead. And I've been reading different articles that certain companies like Walmart and other places are starting to pay their employees sooner. Like maybe you get payment that shift or you get it that week instead of the bi-weekly schedule that's become the norm. Mm-hmm. Which I see as a positive. Because people are getting paid faster. But I also see it as a negative. Because if we need money that often, we can't wait until we can access it. That is a problem. Mm-hmm. What would you think if uh, in the restaurant service industry, if they went to a no-tip uh, no tip setup? And I ask that because uh, there have been, that I've noticed, several stories about uh, people who have a problem with tipping, I guess that the, the tips are not substantial enough. And sometimes they don't, you know, they may not leave anything, but the way that most restaurants operate, uh, the waiter waiters and waitresses are at the mercy of these people because that's, you know, the, the bulk of your, of your money. Yeah. So I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. That um, it happens to me a lot. And it also happens that people just don't come in to eat. So you're just sitting there for like $7 an hour waiting for somebody to come in. Um, but the biggest problem that I noticed mm-hmm. is that as servers, we're required to tip out. To tip um, out. I worked for three different corporate restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they require you to give a portion of your tip. To the house, so to the busers, the bartender, and the host. Okay. And when I first started before 2020, it was about 2%, 3% of your total sales. And recently, it's become more around 6%. Hmm. And keep in mind, this is your total sale. So if they tip you, or if they don't tip you, it doesn't matter. It's just based on what you've sold. Right. Ooh. Okay. That could be a problem. So you're still paying out. Sure. Sure. I mean, me personally, I've always thought that it would just be a better practice to set 
a a salary, a set set a, a pay rate commensurate with uh, the cost of living, and just you know include that into the price of the restaurant experience itself. Yeah, uh, personally, I think that there should be a base salary. And it should be substantial. Mm-hmm. But if people want a tip, we shouldn't discourage. <laughs> like, if you want to give me more money, give me more money. I, I think everybody feels that way. Absolutely. I would love it if somebody had that attitude about me, no matter what it is I was doing. Yeah, just make sure I'm paid. <laughs> okay, well, let's, uh, let's also talk about this then, uh, that you being an advocate uh, for mental health. Uh, now I know that, uh, you were diagnosed with ADHD and if it's okay, uh, I'd like for you to talk about the, the mental health issue. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, as I said, an advocate for, for, uh, mental health, you, uh, you spoke of having ADHD and what, what else has been going on? Yeah, so I was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and we saw a specialist. And at the time, this was like ten years ago, and she discouraged me from disclosing my diagnosis because she said that it would impact my college application. So I walked around with the shame and this fear that if people knew, I would be treated different. Um, and so we tried medication, but it increased my mood swings. So, and it just didn't feel like it solved all the problems. Um, so, and then once I started college and I started interning at law firms, I just couldn't keep up. Mm-hmm. And so I started to think something else was wrong. And so at the time I was also reading articles from women that who had diagnosed with autism. Um, and I started seeing myself in them. And it's weird because like, if you look at a diagnostic criteria, it's just like, oh, you act X or you act Y. You don't see yourself. But someone posted on autistic Twitter that we all hate bananas because we don't like the texture of them. And most of the people agree. And it's those like little tidbits that you see in yourself and you're like, oh, it's me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was going through the diagnostic process, it took me a year to find someone that would evaluate me um, because people don't usually evaluate adults for autism. Okay. But you were evaluated. Uh, and yes. And I was diagnosed with autism. Okay. So what kind of, of attitude are you faced with now? Do you, you just said that you were advised not to make mention of that, but clearly you have mentioned it and how do they generally respond to you? How do people generally respond to uh, to you with the in terms of the ADHD and the autism? Yeah, so it's funny because I live in a very rural area, um, and so the new diagnosis is autism spectrum disorder, and there's levels like one, two, and three, and I was level one, which is the most mild. But so you like your family gets it, and they're like, she doesn't have autism; she has Asperger's. But people haven't called it Asperger's in over 10 years. It's just not a criteria that's used anymore. Really? Uh, Yeah, because it has kind of ties to Nazi Germany and the research they did during that. 
No kidding. Um, and most people don't know that. I certainly didn't. So, and a lot of times you're dealing with people who just don't know. Um, and that's kind of why I talk about it. And when I was starting to publish what I was going through, it kind of was like the writing and figuring out your career. When you think this can't be normal. And you realize that everyone else is going through it too. Um, because of increased demands during COVID. Um, during increased demands in our own expectations in gender roles where women take on more of a role at home and at work, we're all a little burnt out. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I was hitting what everyone else was feeling. And I really didn't mean to. I just wanted answers. Sure. Um, and so I'm realizing that people don't know that people with autism can live a normal life. You know, we can have jobs, we can have partners, and it's just learning about how your brain works mm -hmm. and how you can help your brain um, make it easier for yourself, not harder. Sure, sure. And obviously, it doesn't mean that you can't write because you're, you know, you're a fantastic writer, which brings me to this point. Uh, you have a, a couple of things that you were willing to share with us from your writing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to share the article that I wrote. Okay. Okay, so it's called How I Lived Out My Romantic Comedy Dream. Would you like me to read the article? I absolutely would. Okay. My cousin refused to hang out with me in high school because I watched romantic comedies and made brownie batter out of a bowl. That's all I did, according to her. It's also the most accurate character assessment I've ever had. But what did I find in those movies? Why did I watch romantic comedies over and over again, eating brownie batter, instead of actually living my life? The movies I watched growing up were stories about women, and the moment their career aspirations intersected with their personal ambition. Can we have both, love and a career? These were women who made the courageous decision to demand more out of their lives. They moved to big cities, boarded planes, and competed for their dream jobs. I wanted to be just like them. I didn't believe in love. I make plans because rules make me feel safe. That's an autism thing, by the way. I'm the daughter of divorced parents. So what I saw growing up didn't teach me how to believe in love. My childhood taught me how to prepare for how lousy love can be when it ends. My mom says, you don't know someone until you divorce them. My mom also says, dating is good as it's never going to get. There have been noise you now. Imagine how irritated you will be 20 years from now. That's why I wanted to be a lawyer and spent years interning in family law. I needed to know how to protect myself. I needed to know which arrangements to make before the marriage to make my inevitable divorce much easier. Then my plan fell apart. I was fired from a law firm I was interning at. My boyfriend, whose quiet suburban existence made me question if love could be a quiet Sunday biking around the neighborhood, dumb me. I had a roommate who disrespected me in the apartment where I also paid bills. And all of those factors combined left me with this aching feeling that I didn't want to be present in my life. I wanted to go back to bed and wake up when it was over. That sentiment has related the most with readers over this whole article. Anyway, I rolled silver at my serving job and thought, I don't want to be here. According to my therapist, that's not suicidal. It's perfectly normal to arrive somewhere and think, I don't want to be here. But looking at your 
life as a series of places you don't want to be is not good. I met someone at the end of my world. Around the time my carefully laid plans fell apart, I messaged a writer in London whose article spoke to me. Let's call him London Boy. It's hard to explain if you've never read something and had it resonate so profoundly that you researched the writer's contact information, but it's a quest to find the wizard. London Boy and I are the same age. He's attractive, so obviously I reached out to him. I wanted to produce a podcast about Gen Z trends, but needed a co-host. Since we were creating similar content, I suggested a Zoom to see if we would like to collaborate. He had two conditions. The first was that we had to commit to the project for one year. His second condition was that we had to have fun. Then one day he volunteered he was single. We talked about how I was processing my recent breakup. I needed a change of scenery to find out where I wanted to be. So I bought a plane ticket. Apparently buying a plane ticket to meet a man you've never met in person is not normal. And if you look at my past relations, I was the partner who drove an hour. I rearranged my weekends to spend with him. I was the partner who carefully considered how my grad school plans would fit with their careers, but they didn't show up to the future I planned. So to everyone who says it's not normal to board a plane to meet a man you've never met, so what? I'm the kind of person that's willing to board the plane. I make the drive. I follow my dreams. And that's a great thing to know about myself. And I think we should leave it there. That is nice. I like that. Thank you for- I like it too. (laughs) So what happened with London Boy? Yeah, so we had a trip plan, and then, as life does, things go not as planned. Hmm. Um, I got COVID. Oh, no. Um, so we pushed my flight back, and then he was hospitalized with an emergency. Something that was super treatable, but he had to spend some time recovering. Mm-hmm. So we had to cancel our trip. No. Oh. And then he started a new job, and I was moving. So we just kind of decided... To stay friends. Um, and then we started seeing other people. Mm-hmm. And we're still friends. Well, I'm glad that uh, that you were able to maintain a friendship. I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to at least meet him face to face. I don't know. I think everything happens for a reason. Mm. You know, I still hope that we get to see each other. But I just don't think that was the right time. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for, for sharing that. Once again, uh, I love your writing style. It was... Uh, I... As you can see, I really wanted to know what else happened with it. You know, it is engaging. Thank you. Madison, it's, uh, I'm afraid it's time to, uh, to bring this to a close. And I'm really sorry because I had so much more that I wanted to talk to you about. But uh, that's the way things work out. So uh, let me just say once again how happy I am that you agreed to, uh, to come on and be my guest. And I hope that you will agree to do so again in the near future. Of course, we still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> Best of luck to you and and your writing and your advocacy uh, for um, mental health issues. And uh, again, we'll be in touch. We'll be talking again. I certainly hope so anyway. Of course. Okay, thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. Are you enjoying the Virulent News, Toxic Habits, and Attitudes podcast with Wayne Bibbs? Have you given more thought to your own experiences and not following your dreams? Who and what you let stand in your way, and what you can do to rid yourself of that toxic behavior? 
Now you can support Wayne's efforts to create more free content to reach more people. Please consider a monthly donation in support of the podcast so that we can continue to offer you stories from Wayne and his guests to encourage you to embrace and follow your dreams, as long as those dreams don't involve any sort of harm to yourself or anyone else. You can subscribe to the podcast on several platforms, and you can follow The Virulent News on Twitter, NowX, and Instagram. The Virulent News, Toxic Habits and Attitudes. We thank you for your support. That's going to do it for this week's episode of The Virulent News, Toxic Habits and Attitudes, featuring the return of Madison Sasser. I hope you found the episode entertaining and uplifting, and I hope that you found something that you can take with you through the week to keep you going, to remind you of how great you are, even if no one else recognizes it. The most important thing is that you recognize it. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. This has been the Virulent News. We'll be talking to you again next week, but until then, take care.